it's gone. It's a grand slam. And that's the ball game. This is the Prospects Baseball Show, your inside look at the boys and girls of summer. Here's your hosts, Dean Millard and Jordan Blundell. Welcome to another edition of the Prospects Baseball Show. This is episode three. Very pleased that you have joined us again. You can find us, of course, wherever you find your podcast. My name is Dean Millard and Jordan Lundell, the head coach of the Prospects, who keep on winning, is uh, joining us as per usual. We are going to speak to Jake Gary, his catcher, and former major leaguer Shay Hillebrand on today's show. So really excited to bring you those conversations but we start right now and go around the horn god i'm looking at the curveball let's go around the horn and get the big news in baseball all right let's talk about this uh, weekend jordan um a couple of come from behind wins in very different fashion saturday night you get down 2 nothing in the first inning and then uh, thanks to your catcher who's going to join us later uh, you get a big lead and then you never look back. 14-3, I think, was the final. Um, so you, you were trailing for the briefest of moments, and you come back. And then Sunday was a, a, a different kind of a comeback where you won it late. So um, tell me about your thoughts on the two games on the weekend. Yeah, the uh, the Saturday game you know, obviously went went our way. Um, it ended up being a, a bit of a blowout. Uh, you know, but we gave up two runs early. And uh, you never know how our game's going to go, and obviously we're really happy to score right back. Um, to, to be able to answer runs with your own runs is, is crucial to long-term success in this sport. Uh, I think we, we put up a four spot on them to come back, and, and from that point on, you know, kind of took control of the game back. Um, you know, our starting pitcher did what our starting pitchers seemed to do all the time and gave us a quality outing. Uh, Tanner, you know, you, you gave up one big hit. Um, and their guy's pretty good center fielder, right? Yeah, right. Exactly. And, and Tanner's a two way guy. Um, you know, and, and you know what, for sure that that wasn't his best outing. Uh, and he was still pretty good. Um, you know, and then the offense came up and, and, uh, picked him up right away. Uh, so that's a great feeling. And then as the game went on, uh, we had multiple guys have big hits for us and, and we were able to put it away. Uh, 14 to three was the final. And then on Sunday, Dino, uh, Kind of a back and forth a little bit, uh, you know, a three nothing and then three one and and you know what we answered right back and put it four one again, um, which is huge as it turned out uh, because we ended up going five five all of a sudden uh, we had a little bit of trouble in in uh, I think it was the six maybe the seventh um, we had a little bit of trouble and uh, you know credit to Brooks's offense uh, that's a grinder mentality over there they've got some guys that can swing it. And uh, they came back on us, uh, you know, obviously not as we would have written the script, uh, but that is the game of baseball. It is pitch to pitch and things happen. And, you know, we found ourselves from, from 5-1 to 5-5 to pretty quick. Uh, so um, like we've seen all year, our bullpen came in and, and threw up a zero for us and shut, shut it down, stopped the bleeding uh, when we needed it to be stopped. Um, and, uh, you know, we get to the bottom of the ninth, um, uh, Two outs, and uh, we had a great at-bat by Javier Ramirez. Uh, Javi's a middle infielder, going to play a lot of shortstop for us. Javi had a great at-bat. Uh, it was, uh, 
you know, a, a grinder type at bat. He gets to three one, um, and, and you know takes a good swing on a pitch, fouls it off, and then takes a pitch up in the zone. Um, I, I'll I'll say borderline. It wasn't like it was a ball. There was no decision to make, but it was close and 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 an enticing pitch to potentially offer it as a hitter, and that's just great discipline. Uh, and you know, I think our lineup's really strong in that sense that uh, you don't need to be the guy. Uh, getting a walk there is, it works for us. Uh, we've got a ton of guys that that you know give us good at bats, uh, quality at bats, and, and just getting on base here is is, uh, is a win. Uh, so being able to find a way on base with two outs in the bottom of the ninth that gives us a chance. It, it keeps their offense on the field. Um, so uh, I think one-one, uh, maybe a two-one count. Uh, we end up starting the runner. Uh, Javi was on the move. Uh, and uh, Davis Pratt, a uh, local boy from St. Albert, uh, played in the Prospects Academy and for the St. Albert Cardinals uh, minor baseball organization. Uh, Davis has come on the scene here and, and uh, collected a bunch of hits in his first action with us, and uh, the, the bottom of the ninth was no different. Davis uh, got a pretty good piece and sent the ball to left field. Uh, Javier was on the move, so we were going to be first and third, and uh, the ball got misplayed. And uh, really, that's all we needed uh, to get another 90 feet. Uh, Javi was waved. We had the, the, the hand signs going early on that. The ball was misplayed, so we were going to send Javi, and uh, there, was any, there was not a play at the plate. Uh, so as soon as he touched third, the game was over. And uh, exciting way to finish it. You know, the, you know Saturday was uh, a different story, and then Sunday we had to really fight and claw and, and, and bear down. And, and you know, we don't want to take that game. You know, we, we don't want them to take that game from us. We, we want that W. We don't want to give anybody anything in this league. There, there's too many good players and too many good programs to, you know, throw away a game like that. So really happy for the guys. Uh, their resiliency came through again. Uh, and, and that won't be the last time we see that with this group. Um, and, uh, yeah, we're, we're on Monday today. So uh, the weekend's over. We've, we've got uh, a pretty good stretch of games here, Dino. Uh, with that smoke out game from uh, Thursday, uh, we're playing that tonight, and uh, we go right through to Sunday. So, no time off for these guys. Uh, they came up here to play baseball this summer, and they're going to get that right now. So, uh, we'll be ready to go tonight. No doubt. What? How does that uh, change things? This makeup game. This is supposed to be a day off. Uh, how does it change for how you use your team? How you rest players? Uh, does it throw a wrench into things, or is that something that you just have to expect in baseball because rainouts or smokeouts or anything else can happen at any time? Yeah. You know, honestly, if if there weren't things that we had to account for in the season, I would say that would be the wrench. If this thing went perfect start to finish, that would be uncommon, and, and that would be the tricky part. Um, you know, you never can anticipate necessarily changes, but you know there will be changes. And, and you know, if there's one thing college baseball players are really good at is being flexible. Uh, things change, schedules change, um, and, and their ability to mitigate the, the amount of distraction that you know, poses to them is, is super important. And then, you know, sometimes that separates the level of player that you are. So, um, for sure, we'll probably do some things different knowing that we've got these games in a line without that day off. But, um, you know, the, these guys are highly trained athletes. They, they spend a lot of time preparing to do these kind of things. So we'll try and, um, be conscious of the key keyword being load management that we've heard a few times here out of, out of Toronto. 
you know, that's important. Uh, we want our guys to be healthy. It's important that they're able to perform all summer. So there'll be some guys getting some time here, here and there this week for sure. And uh, we'll do our best to keep them healthy throughout the summer. Tell us your best baseball story, and you could be watching a prospects game from a suite and taking batting practice before the game. All right, let's do a little baseball memories. This is how this works. You send us your favorite baseball memory, whether it was playing, watching, coaching, anything. As long as it involves you and baseball, and six winners in total will will uh, be chosen. And each winner and a guest will watch a game from a suite hosted by me on Fan Appreciation Night. As well, one pitcher from each, uh, one person rather, from each winner will get to take BP before the game at Remax Field. So it's really, really cool. All you have to do is uh, email us, uh, prospectsbaseballshow at gmail.com with your favorite baseball memories. Uh, what do you got today for us? I got a doozy, Dino. Um, okay, so picture this. It's uh, it's 2004. It's uh, the regional championships, uh, sem- like semifinal to get to the get to the final. Um, it's uh, extra innings. It's a tie game. Their team has runners on first and second, none out. So it's getting dangerous for us. Ball gets hit into the six hole. There's a right-handed hitter. Um, the six holes deep short. Our shortstop's quick little guy, good arm. Uh, one of my one of my true lifer friends, Scotty Wallace from Vancouver Island, um, starts a double play turn. So it's quick and like this is bang bang at second. We get the guy at second. Bang bang. Throw gets to first base in the dirt. Uh, we've got a picking machine over there, Greg Ross, who's actually from Spruce Grove, Alberta. That uh, I got a chance to play with a bunch of Canadians. Makes a great pick. Um, Bang, bang, play, called out. So we turn the double play. There's a runner at third base right now with two outs. Um, so our first baseman flips our pitcher the ball. The pitcher had crossed over first baseline to back up a potential errant throw, which there wasn't. Our first baseman made a pick. There's two outs. Our first baseman flips the ball to the pitcher as the pitcher's walking back towards the mound. He's right at the line. Their coach... And the runner at third base are distraught about the call at first. They feel he was safe. For whatever reason, and I'll never know why, uh, the, the coach started walking towards the, the umpire at first base, so he had kind of crossed the third baseline. So did the runner. The runner was so upset that he had walked inside the field a little bit. And then gathered his senses and had turned to come back to the base. This is probably 10, 12 feet of where you shouldn't be as a runner. So I'm standing on the bag at third base. That's my job. I was always on the bag when we were looking for an out. Uh, The pitcher that got the ball from our first baseman, the flip, um, Adam Walton. uh, He was our closer at Jamestown. He's uh, a Quinnell BC boy. Um... Adam and I played four and a half of our five years of college baseball together, so we were we were pretty tight. Uh, we were really good friends. We still are. Um, I looked at it. I didn't want to draw any attention, so I didn't want to be vocal. Uh, I, I Our eyes locked. It was special. And before you could even think, that ball is being thrown to me. It's on its way. I catch it. I tag the runner. 
who's not anywhere close to the base. I look at the umpire to make sure he understands this ball game's over. That's a triple play. Tag the runner. I got, I'm sorry, I think early in the story, we were we were up. That's the ball game. I tag the runner, and I go flying into our dugout, which was on the first base side. I'm in a full sprint. The dugout erupts. I mean, I'm, it's high fives. It was, it was, it was, it was a great feeling um, for us. Um, unfortunately for them, that was a season ending, and for some of the guys on that team who were seniors, was career ending. That's it. That's the last time they'd ever set field, uh, set foot on a college baseball field as a player. So, uh, what a great moment for us. A tough one for them. You know, there were some tears over there for sure. That's what happens when you finish up your college career. Um, but uh, what a great memory. I'm glad uh, I'm glad they got a chance to talk about that one. No kidding. Uh, send us your baseball memory, and you could be watching a prospect game from a suite and taking batting practice before the game. Prospects Baseball Show at gmail.com. Uh, you can get us on Twitter, at ProspectsPod, at Jordan Blendell, at Duck Millard, and, of course, at EDM Prospects. Uh, we have a Facebook page. And our website is prospectsbaseballshow.ca and, of course, prospectsbaseballclub.com for all your tickets. If you want to go to tonight's game against Okotoks, it's a, a makeup game. Uh, mine is, uh, my, my memory is not uh, uh, nearly as uh, elaborate as that. It was when I was like 12 years old and I was a pitcher and we were in a tournament final. And uh, I, you know, could not throw anything other than just over the plate. I didn't have anything, but I thought I did. Anyway, I uh, I pitched like, came in in the third inning and pitched the rest of the game and caught the final out. And I'm like, I just caught the final out from the mound of a tournament. It didn't mean a lot now, but you know when I was 12 years old, it was pretty cool. I actually I kept the ball and I rode on Sweet. it and I put it up on uh, like a trophy case and stuff. So at 12 years old, it was and it was at a diamond that was really close to my house. So a bunch of my friends were there watching and stuff too. So it was kind of a fun uh, baseball moment for me. Let's get back to the action. This is the Prospects Baseball Show. We are very pleased at this point to uh, be able to welcome in a former major leaguer and two-time All-Star Shea Hillebrand uh, to the Prospects Baseball Show. Shea, thanks so much for joining us uh, here today. Um, uh, we remember your major league baseball career. Tell us about what uh, life is like for uh, Shea Hillebrand right now. Uh, thanks for having me on. First and foremost, I appreciate that. And, uh, uh, really, really uh, enjoyed my days playing in Toronto in 05 and 06. I was an all-star for them uh, actually in 2005. And, and uh, Toronto was actually a great experience to play. I always loved the Canadian fans and the Canadian people. Uh, they were so gracious. So uh, what I'm doing now, I'm in, I'm in real estate. Uh, a couple of years ago, I made a transition into real estate. I'm having some success with that. And as well, what I'm doing is creating coaching programs uh, to be able to help uh, baseball players transition uh, life after baseball because that's a huge, huge uh, problem that's coming out in social media and that needs to be addressed. And uh, as well, helping uh, entrepreneurs, uh, successful people, uh, understand how to achieve peak performance. So kind of like my mission, mission statement is I, I, uh, I help men connect with simple techniques to create sustained peak performance in their life. So uh, I knew how to do it on the field at a very high level and had a very, very difficult time uh, transitioning that or have that parlay into every other aspect into my life. 
uh, off the field. And I went through a tremendous amount of trials and tribulations after I left the game and uh, been able to learn that on a 10-year endeavor. And finally, uh, at a place of uh, my life where I'm completely fulfilled, I'm completely happy, and uh, love where I'm at. Uh, that's awesome to hear, Shay. Uh, it's Jordan here. Uh, Shay, what uh, what made you think about trying to pursue something to to help you know players transition from you know their playing days to to what they do you know in life after baseball? As as a college player, I know when I graduated, uh, for sure I went through some things mentally, you know, depression wise as as far as like the high of your teammates and and the schedule and and all the great things, and then to have to not have that anymore, you know, what, what kind of led you to look at pursuing this to help uh, other players? It's just, uh, it's interesting because as you talk about that, uh, you and I have a relationship and I love you dearly, Jordan, for who you are and what you've been through and what you stand for and where your heart is. And I got the goosebumps because like, this is my passion. This is my purpose is I love to help people. Um, I don't know. I, I didn't think this is where I'd be. Uh, when I was playing Major League Baseball, uh, I was going to make millions and millions, and I made millions and millions. I uh, uh, brought home $20 million. But uh, what happens is when you're a kid playing baseball growing up, and, and you got to understand this, 0.05% of high school baseball players go on to play professionally. And you're an elite level if you just go on and continue baseball after high school. A lot of people don't understand that at a collegiate level, at a junior college level, or wherever they're at. But to be able to play professional baseball, 0.05% do that at a high school, and then 4% of the 0.05% make it to the big leagues. And then 13% of the 4% of the 0.05% become an all-star. And I did all that. And it's crazy because I was you are probably better than I was in, in college and in high school, Jordan. But what it takes is the intangibles that drive – and we have to understand, like myself per se, and this is a common theme with major leaguers, is I was always picked first. I was the first picked in the elementary school. I was the first picked in junior high, high school, junior college, minor leagues. I got player of the year three of the five years I played in the minor leagues. And then the, when you tap into the major leagues, that's a whole new world. It's like busting through the sonic boom barrier. Once that airplane hits the sonic boom, a huge bang happens. And a whole world opens up that you don't even know that's capable. And here I am, my second year in the major leagues, and I'm starting in the all-star game at third base for the Boston Red Sox. I was actually voted in, and I beat Robin Ventura, who was with the Yankees at the time, uh, third baseman, for starting third baseman in the all-star game. And here I am, I don't even know how to field a ground ball. And my wife always says, don't tell people that because that's embarrassing. But seriously, I do not know how to field a ground ball. I was horrible at it but I knew the process. So I trained myself at an elite level. I trained my mind. My why was very strong. The reason why I wanted to play is because I wanted to prove my father wrong and get his acceptance and his approval uh, because I, uh, I knew if I became a, a major leaguer, I was good enough in his eyes. But this is a common theme across the board with successful people, and this is very, very challenging, and we have to be very sensitive to it when we're raising up our youth and, and getting them to a point to where, what is this? What is this about? You know, when we when we train these kids, when we train uh, kids in high school or even at the collegiate level, what are we trying to do? Because when you get to that level, you have to have an obsession. It has to become an obsession. When the things become an obsession, and you have success at such an elite level, it's very very uh, uh, things get challenging. Things get tough. 
things sacrificed. So I was always married to the game and nothing else. Shea Hillebrand is joining us, two-time All-Star, of course, former major leaguer. You broke in with Boston, as you mentioned, your second year, you're in the All-Star game. Um, you hit a game-winning home run off Mariano Rivera at Fenway Park. Uh, when you look back, and I know it's probably really hard, but can you pick out, you know, two, three memories that stand out more than others from your career? Oh, I mean, uh, every day, you know, the thing that, uh, that I struggle with and the thing that I, like, I wish I would have, I wish I would have enjoyed the game more. Not one time in the major leagues where I was sitting in the clubhouse when I was having a lot of success uh, did I sit there and say, oh, my gosh, I'm in the major leagues because of the pressure and because of proving yourself and because you're trying to seek the next thing and the next better thing because if you don't get yourself better, someone's going to take your job. That's the pressure and the stress you have to go through on a daily basis. And not one time we get paid every two weeks. Not one time I'd sit there and say, oh, my gosh, looking at my paycheck and say, I'm a multimillionaire because when you're a kid, you want to be a major leaguer. And when you're a kid, you want to make tons of money. But when you get there, it's kind of a different perspective. It's all relevant. So uh, it, it was very challenging. I hit three home runs in one game for the Diamondbacks in 2003. Uh, uh, and they were consecutive innings that I hit three home runs. I didn't even know it because I was so immersed in the moment. I was miserable. I was struggling with myself internally, but I was having a tremendous amount of success. And going up to my, four, my fifth at bat, which would be the fourth home run in four consecutive innings. This would have been for the all-time record, all-time for Major League Baseball. So my last at-bat, we were playing the Colorado Rockies. It was in Arizona in uh, yeah, 2003. And uh, all everybody who was watching all the games across the Major League board, all the games switched, all the syndications switched to my at-bat to watch this record-breaking moment. And I didn't know I was going for the record up until right when I went to at-bat, Carlos Baerga. One of my good friend's teammates told me, hey, you're going for the record. And when I was standing there during the batter's box, my knees were shaking because of the pressure and understanding. And I took the first pitch, and it was a, a get-me-over curveball, and I could have smacked it out of the stadium. But I took it because I wasn't ready. And I, I, the pitcher worked me to a count of like one-two, and I ended up hitting a double in the left center field, uh, driving in Luis Gonzalez for my uh, – seventh RBI. So that game went five for five with seven RBIs. Uh, my first at, my first game in, 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 in LA, I grew up in LA, a diehard Dodger fan. My first game there facing Hideo Nomo, one of my high school college, you know, idols. Uh, I went uh, four for four against uh, them going to two home runs and two doubles. I was in a perfect game with Randy Johnson played first base, uh, two no hitters. Uh, all that being said, I was miserable and I was stuck the whole time. Hey, uh, that's that's amazing, Shay, to, to have that kind of pressure on you and, and three at bats, three home runs, and and one of your boys clues you into what might happen. You're like, hey, thanks, man. Uh, I didn't need to know that at this point. I was trying to focus in on this next pitch. <laughs> um, so you went to school in Mesa, uh, but you grew up in California, Shay. Uh, what uh, what did you do as a, as a as a young lad uh, outside of baseball, uh, competitive wise? I know I know that uh, you weren't just a baseball player growing up. Can you can you tell me what that meant for your athletic development, playing other sports? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I grew up in Southern California in uh, a very desirable middle class neighborhood. Uh, you could play on the street. It was awesome. It's like Wisteria Lane on the on the reality of the TV show. Uh, really cool. Uh, but I struggled. I struggled a lot with my father. 
Uh, I played basketball in basketball season. I played baseball in baseball season. I played football in football season. I played soccer in soccer season. So I was actually a lot better in soccer than I was in baseball because in Southern California, soccer was really, really big at the time. But I remember uh, uh, every, every instance we could or every chance we could, my two older brothers, my father and I, we played basketball in the front yard in the driveway. And I was ultra, ultra competitive. And I think that's the thing that, I, that set me apart. I was never satisfied. I was always driven. I, had, uh, I was relentless and I was competitive. But whenever we played basketball, uh, my two older brothers and my dad would never let me shoot. They would never let me compete because they'd stifle the ball. They'd block my shots. I couldn't pass it uh, because they're, they were uh, in that developmental age. It was older than me. And I'd always get frustrated. And I'd always start crying because I'd get super emotional. I was always an emotional kid. And I'd start running into the house from six, seven, eight, nine years old. And without ado, every single time, my dad would say, go inside, you freaking baby, and then go to your room and take off all your clothes. Nothing, anything other than that happened. So I'd go to my room. I'd strip all my clothes off. I'd be naked. And when you do that to a kid, you strip their identity. You strip that away from them. And I wouldn't sit there playing the victim, but I would sit there at seven, eight, every memory I'd say, I'm going to forget that guy. F him. I'm going to prove him wrong. I'm going to do everything I can. So I found my community, my solitude, my, my identity through my community of friends uh, at school. Actually, my kids, my, my, my friends at school would call me Mr. Shea. And then I find my community through uh, having success through athletics. So that was my out. And I think this is relatable to a lot of people. But when I was 14 years old, my dad walked into my room and he said, We're, I'm moving the family from Southern California to Arizona. And right there, I was like, are you kidding me? My identity was. He took, they took me from my identity, my dad did, from all my friends, my community of friends and my community of sports. So as I reluctantly left all my friends at 14 years old, I told myself I'm going to become a little achiever through athletics to prove my dad wrong. So at that point, I became number one soccer player in Arizona in high school. And then, and then after high school, I didn't have anywhere to go because I wasn't that good in baseball, but I wanted to become a major league baseball player. That was my ultimate dream. So I walked on at the local junior college, and in three years, I became the number one baseball player there, and I got drafted by the Red Sox. So I was always trying to prove my worthiness to my father through that aspect. So through my adolescence, it was very, very difficult because I never really had fun. I always tried to find myself, find a community through my friends, identity, and then through sports. Shay, you used the term a little while ago, uh, miserable, when you were talking about the pressure, and obviously that, that story of your uh, childhood doesn't sound like a, a, a great one. What's the, are, have you found some, some peace now? Are you uh, much happier? And, and clearly you're able to talk about this, and you were always a very uh, outspoken individual, and I, I you know, really appreciate that from an athlete to be able to be as outspoken as you can be. Um, you know, and I, I hope that uh, you, you found some peace and can, can look back on that, and, and you know, obviously you're not happy with it, but uh, it doesn't linger with you. Uh, what's the, the, the state of your happiness today? I look back at it now and I laugh, and it's taken me a very long time because the stuff that I've done in Major League Baseball, I came up with the Red Sox, and after two and a half years, I mean, I was the first guy to come to the Major Leagues for the Red Sox in, from A to the Major League since the 1970s. So we're talking about 30 years for a prestigious organization of the Red Sox, a player coming from A. No one's done it in 30 years, and I did it. And then once I got there, I had success. My second year, I hit a game-winning home run off Mariano Rivera, became an all-star. 
I'm, I'm, I've come back my third year, and uh, Theo Epstein is a, uh, the fresh new general manager at 28 years old. He's the same age as me, and I knew Red Sox. I was Red Sox. I was raised to the farm system. I was uh, – the, the, all the fans of six states, Red Sox Nation was like family to me. I bled, and it was Red Sox blood. And then when I was traded from the Red Sox to Arizona, I was actually leading the team in RBIs after two months. I had 47 RBIs, uh, uh, actually 49 RBIs at the end of May, hitting seventh. And the second hitter that had 47 RBIs was Manny Ramirez. So I actually had more RBIs than Manny Ramirez. And then when I sat in the hotel room, we were actually on a plane flying from Boston to Toronto to play the Jays. And Johnny Damon came up to my seat. And I'm just rocking and rolling, man. I'm like a rock star in Boston. And he said, we just traded you to Arizona. And I was like, what? There we go again. My dad moving me at 14 years old from California to Arizona. Theo Epstein is my dad. He moved me from Boston, who I was Boston, got my identity back to Arizona. And then when I went to Arizona, I, I, uh, I played there for two years. I hit 310, player of the year, got traded to Toronto. So every time I got traded, I was like that little boy at 14 years old getting that scab ripped open again of my father saying, I don't love you, you're not good enough, and, and you're not lovable. It's like I, I pour my blood into every team I played for, and they just trade me. And then I go to Toronto, and then we're in Toronto, my free agent year. I'm putting up numbers. 2005, I'm having major success. Got all-star player of the year again for that team. 2006, J.P. Uh, J.P. Ricciardi said, I want to sign you to multi-year contract, and then that's my sixth year, my free agent year. And then all of a sudden, they start steamrolling me, steamboating me. They're putting me in as a DH, not an all-star third baseman. Now I'm not going to make the money I was supposed to make. Now I have confrontation in the clubhouse with John Gibbons. And then I get in a fight with John Gibbons in the clubhouse. I take full accountability for all those actions. I feel like a ding-dong. But in that situation, I was like, can't you see what I did for you guys? But what I didn't realize, that if I wasn't good, these teams wouldn't trade me. They would release me. But in actuality, I was so good, teams found me valuable to where I was traded from team to team to team to add value to that team. So I had a, you know, kind of a roller coaster career because of my personal life. Not because of who I was, because like I got nothing but a servant's heart. I'll give my, my shirt off my back for you. I lost $20 million after baseball with bad business decisions and giving my money away to help people. So uh, sitting back now, it's, it's awesome because I look at it now that all the things that I did, all the struggles, all the failures, all the things that I messed up at is just another tool in my tool belt to be able to help somebody else. And there's no greater feeling than to use your gifts and talents that have been given to you to make somebody else's life better. That's a life of fulfillment, and that's where I'm at now. Uh, that's so good to hear. Two-time All-Star Shea Hillebrand joining us here on the Prospects Baseball Show. I'm Dean Millard, Jordan Blundell, head coach of the Prospects uh, with you. And uh, one year you spent in uh, San Francisco, and uh, we're doing a thing a little bit later in the show called uh, the All-Time Team, and Jordan and I break down the all-time best uh, Major League Baseball players at each position. Today we're doing left field. I want to get your thoughts on a guy yeah, Barry named Bonds. Barry Bonds uh, and where he ranks as the all-time <laughs> left fielder. You, you saw him firsthand on, in the same dugout. Um, to tell you the truth, I can give to, to, to – I don't care about baseball. I love baseball. I care about the people in baseball. So my opinion is 
Barry Bonds is the best player that's ever played the game, bar none, period, end of story, with Shane Hillenbrand. It's just like politics and religion. Uh, you can go round and round with who's the best, who's done this, who's done that. But firsthand, uh, I play with a lot of great people. I played with Big Poppy. I played with Manny Ramirez. I played with Pedro Martinez, Randy Johnson, Kurt Schill, like all these guys. And Barry Bonds is like in a, 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 a universe of his own. I played with him at 42 years old. I hit third right before he got the home run record. I hit third, he hit fourth. And uh, what I want to share with your listeners, especially the prospects, is that I was already six years in the major leagues when I went to play for San Francisco. I was successful. I could hit. I was one of the best hitters in the game when I played at that time uh, with, with one of the best hitters. And I was making millions of dollars. I could hit. I knew how to hit. But I had a choice when, when I walked into the clubhouse in San Francisco. See, when you walk into the clubhouse in San Francisco, Barry Bonds has the whole side of the clubhouse, and he called it the ghetto. And he had him and his entourage, his, his, his trainers there, all that stuff. And nobody would go over there and sit next to Barry Bonds because they were so intimidated by him. But I went over there the very first day, and I sat right next to him in the ghetto, whatever he calls it, the ghetto. And I said, Barry, I want you to teach me everything you know. I said, you don't know nothing about the ghetto because you grew up – uh, in the clubhouse, Willie Mays was your godfather, Barry Bonds was your father. You live in Beverly Park right now. The poor people live in Beverly Hills. Barry, Barry Bonds lives in Beverly Park. You have to have 25 million liquid cash in your bank account to live in his neighborhood. I said, you don't know nothing about the ghetto, so I want you to teach me everything you know about baseball, about hitting. And Barry Bonds taught me, that was a choice I made, because life's about choices. You're never too good to learn more about the game. And that's what I want to share with your, with your uh, upcoming players and coaches. You always have to learn. So if you don't want to learn, you have a fixed mindset. If you have a fixed mindset, you're going to fail. If you have a growth mindset, you can always add to your plate. You can always get better. So Barry Bonds, Willie McCovey, and Willie Mays, they're all in the clubhouse in San Francisco when I played there. They taught me more in three months than I learned in seven years in my major league career. And what I've learned from them, I teach everybody now, and it's pretty fun. Yeah, Shay, it's uh, it's been a pleasure working with you again. Yeah, that opportunity out uh, at the big league experience in Oliver, BC, and and I know I like I cherish the information that you've shared with me. And um, you know, Barry was a guy that you know was you know in my wheelhouse as a teenager, falling in love with the game and you know, getting a chance to follow the game. Um, what what made Barry so so good? Like, how was Barry able to develop such a short swing? How was he able to strike the ball and, and be so short to contact? Uh, I would talk to him in depth, and I'd talk to his trainer, uh, Harvey, uh, in depth, because I trained with Harvey as well. Uh, Barry let me. Barry doesn't let anybody work with his trainer. He let me work with his trainer. Uh, so uh, having Bobby Bonds and Willie Mays as uh, mentors, uh, I mean, even when he went to ASU, uh, they, they, uh, Bobby Bonds told the head coach at ASU, you're not teaching about hitting. So, number one, Barry is extremely gifted. Uh, he's, got, he's got talent and he's gifted, and, that, that, and he'll admit to that. But number two, I've never seen anybody work harder than Barry Bonds, and he's extremely smart. So what he would always say is, he's like, you've got to hit smart. You don't just hit and hit and hit and hit. See, all the, all the players like myself, I just go hit and hit and hit. I probably swung at that a million times. And he would just be really smart when he hit. So in the batting cage underneath the stadium, behind the dugout, when Barry Bonds was hitting, uh, he would have a, a certain BP coach that would throw missiles at him. Like, I'd be like, dude, slow the ball down. But he'd throw missiles at him. And this is what I want everybody to hear, especially in Canada, because Barry Bonds is the best hitter ever in my mind. 
he would never hit a ball in the top of the cage, ever. This is right where before he had the home run record of all time. And he would just work on that swing because it's where you catch the ball and make contact because at some point in time, your swing's going to start coming up. But he was so short to the ball, it's insane. It's just like, it's just like, bah! but he would train. He would train. He had the best trainer in the world training him on movement. I mean, his trainer, Harvey Shields, trained Lennox Lewis how to punch. I mean, he like, trained Jerry Rice's whole career on movement. So it's the efficiency of understanding the movement and balance on top of having the best mentors, Bobby Bonds and Willie Mays, that knew hitting uh, probably better than anybody else that's ever played the game, uh, 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 right there in his ear. But he was driven. He was driven, and he was driven. Yeah, that's awesome, Shay. I appreciate uh, appreciate your insight there. Um, you you weren't too bad either. You know, two eighty four hitter with a hundred plus home runs in the big leagues. Um, can you tell me a little bit about what you do with with youth baseball now? As as you share your knowledge uh, in the U.S. and also in Canada, I know you you've done a bunch of work for uh, an organization out of BC, the Big League Experience. But uh, I know some college guys have sought you out uh, in the Arizona area to to pick your brain on on how to approach the art of hitting. Um, what can what kind of keeps you busy in the game today uh, at the youth level? I love the mental aspect, and I love. Uh... Uh, the driving people because there's so many intangibles that are involved with having success with hitting. Hitting a baseball is the hardest thing to do in sports and everybody's mechanics are going to be different. And I want to make this very, very clear. 80% of the success of your swing in a batter's box is psychology. Where you place your focus, how you're in the present and where you, what you're doing with, with what you have mentally. And 20% has to deal with the mechanical aspect of your swing. So my question is, why do 95%, that's just a number I'm throwing out there, because the majority of coaches talk about mechanics. You can't talk about mechanics. It's a feel. So I love teaching players. I love uh, doing that aspect. Uh, there's so much failure involved with baseball. There's so many intangibles and variables involved with, with pitchers. And, I mean, I wish I was pitching nowadays in the big leagues because we make a hell of a lot more money because everybody's teaching this launch angle, uh, all that stuff, which is, which is nonsense. I mean, you have Mike Trout, the best player in the game right now, proven with his paycheck, saying zero about launch angle, saying zero about swinging up. And then you have a player like Alex Rodriguez, regardless of what you think about him, he made over half a billion dollars playing the game because he could hit. His glove was questionable. That's why they moved him to third base. That's why they moved him to first base, all that stuff. But that dude could hit. And he said the exact thing that Trout says. And then you have Miguel Cabrera, who's got the triple crown, who was arguably the best player in the game three or four years ago, saying the same thing. Then you have Pujols saying the same thing. But everybody wants to go against that and try to debunk them and prove them wrong with launch angle, with swinging up, with all this cyber matrix crap, with these measurements, you can measure all you want. But if you're not in the moment when you train to ingrain that feel into your nervous system, to allow intuition and your competitive nature to kick in during the game, you're done. Everybody's thinking about mechanics now, which is ruining these kids and putting a sour taste in their mouth. Because when you think about mechanics and think about, you can't feel. And there's no better feeling ever in sports than to square up a baseball. When you square up a baseball, am I correct, Jordan? You know it, dude. 
when you square up in baseball, it, 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 there's no better feeling. But these kids aren't able to feel it because they're thinking. <laughs> they're thinking about this because the coaches are in their ear and they understand they think it's easy. It's the hardest thing to do in sports. I have four-tenths of a second to make a decision, put a mechanically sound swing on it, and to hit the ball square with the round bat and the round ball. It's common sense. It's simple. But the thing is, is that you can't think mechanics. Not one time my whole career I ever thought mechanics. And nor do people that hit over 300 in the major leagues. We don't think mechanics. Why are we all teaching these kids mechanics? Because that's the go-to thing. That's the thing that makes you look like you know what you're talking about. Hitting is like science. Majority of coaches make it like college-level science to these kids, and they're like, huh? You have to dumb this down because they're, they're, they're everything, their minds are going so fast with technology and everything. These kids have no clue what you're talking about. You have to dumb it down to second-grade science to get them to have instant gratification, to want to be there, to be present, and that's when you can make a difference, and that's when the game can make a difference in these kids' lives. The game needs to be the number one coach for these kids. Watch the game. That's what we should be telling our players. Watch the game. Watch that guy while he's doing good. Watch that pitcher. Oh, my gosh, he just picked the first. Watch that over there. Why did the third baseman throw the ball a second when he should have thrown it to first? Watch the outfielder when he throws the ball at home and misses his cutoff, man. The game will teach you way more than any of us can teach you. So that's where it needs to be. Shay, thanks so much for the conversation today. It was uh, really uh, eye-opening, interesting, and I, I learned a lot from it. And hopefully down the road, We'll be able to uh, chat with you again about more baseball topics. Thanks so much. Yeah, my pleasure. Anything you guys need, let me know. Yeah, appreciate your time, man. <sighs> it's fantasy time. Fantasy baseball, that is. Who needs to be in your lineup? And who shouldn't? We've got the latest info to help you dominate your league. Bumgarner's 1-0. Bellinger swings. High drive. Center field. At the wall. Grand slam. Cody Bellinger. It's go time. Let's dive into fantasy baseball now. And um, a couple of weeks ago when we first started this show, my team was in trouble. Uh, Not so much anymore. After I made that Jose Ramirez for Max Muncy and Reyes and those guys... I went 10-0-2 in a week, and this week I went 8-3-1. So I've, I've racked up a bunch of wins. Do you know how many games I've made up in my division? Four. Half a game. Oh, man. I was, I, I'm still 18 games out, and I, <laughs> but I'm top four teams in our division make the playoffs. All I have to do is be good when the playoffs come, and I can upset somebody. So I I just have to be – I'm two games ahead for a playoff spot, so I'm okay with that. And uh, I was thinking of selling. Now I think I, I, I might not. But, uh, you know, what, what are you noticing in fantasy baseball as of late? Well, that's, uh, that's you know, Dino, that's just an example of good being a good general manager right <laughs> there. You know, you shook up the locker room, uh, sent Jose packing, and brought in some, some guys that were swinging it. Uh, you, know, you got to play the hot hand a lot in, in fantasy baseball. You've got your core guys, but you don't want to be married to, to players that aren't getting it done. And if you are willing to make a deal, you know, you try and try and try and switch things up for yourself. So that's cool that you're able to do that crazy that you've only made up that short amount. That's stock, eh? Um, for me, uh, better week, better week. I was, uh, eight and four. Um, I've been just battling teams and, and this week, hopefully it, it pushes me over the hump. You know, Bryce Harper had, uh, more of a Bryce Harper type week. Um, then really honestly, Dino, that's been the difference for me. Uh, uh, 
Donaldson and, and Harper are two of my keepers. Um, you know, JD's not uh, not the JD of old, and that's that's hurting me. But I but I love him, so it's tough for me to make that move. Uh, but for Bryce Harper, if if he does the things he's capable of, uh, you know, I have a better chance. And, you know, I'm still 10 to 12, which is tough. You know, it's tough looking at that record, but. You know, we'll, the boys will get back to work today. Uh, the guys will get we'll get in the cage as a group and we'll figure it out. Um, I've got a big week here. Uh, if hopefully I can get some momentum going, and that's the thing with fantasy baseball, you get, you get the hot streaks for guys, and you hope you catch them on the right 14 days there, and you put a couple weeks together, and you can really make up ground. So that's where I'm at. I haven't made any moves. Uh, we're keeping it quiet on the the waiver wire front after a successful week, and we'll see if these guys can do it again two weeks in a row. One guy, um, Trevor Story, pretty hot this past week. Two homers, uh, nine RBIs. But Albert Pujols, three home runs this last week, nine RBIs. I don't have him on my team, um, but uh, pretty big numbers uh, for Albert Pujols. Um, you know, I think uh, I, I just I love I love guys that I watched years ago. And even if it's only a brief moment and they're still declining, have those magical times because it's like, ah, I remember that guy when I was younger and, and he was in his prime and now you can still see him do do things well. I absolutely hate it when guys hang on too long. And, and I, listen, I just, I think you're just, it's like uh, you want to remember at the prime. You don't want to remember a guy trying to make it back up from AAA to, to extend his career. Where Pujols is at in his, his career. And it, you know what, Dino kind of feels a little bit like that where unfortunately maybe hanging like but how can you even say that when he has the week that he just had? It's really cool that you know one of the game's greatest of all time, which is what Albert Pujols is, is playing with maybe one of the greatest of all time with Mike Trout. It's cool to see how that symmetry goes, and you know just imagine the conversations that they've been able to have mm-hmm. about about pitchers, about hey, this is what this guy throws me, and um, to to have that kind of resource as a, as a, as Mike Trout does have, and. You know, even even for Pujols to have Mike Trout and them be able to talk about that, it's that contagious part of hitting, and uh, you can just imagine that kind of conversation that those guys share. Eh? Play ball. Take me out to the ball game. Take me out with the crowd. Buy me some peanuts and crackers. Want jack. two tickets to an upcoming prospects game? Get your thinking ball caps on and answer this baseball trivia question. If they don't win, it's a shame. For it's one, two, three strikes, you're out at the old ball game. All right, we want to give you two tickets to an upcoming prospects game. This is Take Me Out to the Ball Game Trivia. Last week, by the way, it was uh, Ken Griffey Jr. who had the second most home runs by a center fielder. And uh, congratulations uh, to our winner. We'll be going to an upcoming prospects game. This week, trivia question is, what team did Shea Hillebrand finish his Major League Baseball career with? Uh, he was very open about his Major League Baseball career uh, when he joined us earlier. We want to know what career, what team did Shea Hillebrand finish his Major League Baseball career with? with uh, it's uh, simple to win this just email us prospects baseball show at gmail.com with your answer if you're correct and you're chosen we'll get back to you about how you can pick up your tickets 
prospectsbaseballshow at gmail.com. What team did Shea Hillebrand finish his major league career with? Let's get back to the action. This is the Prospects Baseball Show. All right, we are now joined in studio by uh, Prospects catcher Jake Gary and uh, a couple of home runs the other night for you in uh, the game on Saturday night. It was very impressive. Uh, thanks very much for uh, joining us. So you are from uh, the Washington area. So tell us a little bit about, uh, first of all, growing up, playing baseball, living in Washington. I'd met, I, I'm not going to automatically say you were a Mariners fan because the last guy we yeah. had in here is from Wisconsin, and he grew up a Twins fan, so I'm not automatically, and that was obviously Pierce Blahoviak, yeah. but what was growing up uh, in Washington like uh, and playing baseball? Uh, it was great. I, uh, I love the Pacific Northwest area. Uh, I'm very fortunate to have grown up there. Um, I'm a Mariners fan, yeah. it's uh, It's been tough. Um, I, I really grew up a Boston fan, which was kind of kind of random. Uh, one day I woke up and I, oh, I love the Red Sox. And uh, my room was actually uh, red because I, I liked the Red Sox so much. Um, that was like, 2009, 2010 when they were, they were really hot. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I love where I grew up, uh, the Washington area. Like I was telling you earlier, I'm about an hour from the mountains, a few hours from the beach, about an hour from Seattle. So I'm re- really fortunate in a really great area. And uh, you know, Seattle, the Washington area gets a lot of uh, gets a lot of hate because all the rain. I think people not from Washington think it just rains all the time. But uh, I know summer, especially this time of year, it's just absolutely beautiful. Yeah, for sure, Jake. Uh, I, I was fortunate enough to be out on Vancouver Island, so the same kind of climate, and uh, you know, you get those days in February where it's 12 degrees, and I guess that's like 50 degrees for you down in the U.S. and it's sunny, and you're like, oh man, this is amazing. Um, Jake, tell me about uh, where you grew up in Buckley, Washington, and, and maybe a little bit about what sports uh, outside of baseball that you played as a, as a young guy, and, and maybe a little bit about your favorite Little League baseball memory. Um, growing up in Buckley, it's a pretty, pretty small town. Uh, everybody knows everybody. Um, it's a bubble, I would say. Um, and growing up, I played, uh, played baseball, football, uh, dabbled in a little bit of lacrosse, um, uh, big outdoors guy. I love I like to fish. Uh, I like to hunt. Um, I just love being outside. And uh, I guess my my favorite memory. It's not necessarily maybe a positive one. I got cut from my little league team growing up. Um, so I kind of always said, oh, like that's my Jordan moment, uh, where I kind of wanted to prove, like, hey, this guy that cut me from my little league team, uh, I'm not not so bad after all. And uh, so it's kind of funny because he's actually a family friend now. And uh, after. Uh, Florida uh, this past uh, this past spring after a pretty good game um, so my, my buddy posted on Facebook and added him like hey this is this kid you cut from Little League uh, look at him now kind of thing so it was, that's cool. it's a good memory yeah uh, that's awesome stuff uh, so you're a four-year varsity starter um, at uh, catcher for Sumner High School um, I just don't think that happens a lot for people you know as uh, as to be a, a four-year starter um, the first year you platooned a little bit and then you, you really took over, but, uh, you know, what was that like? Obviously things went well. You were the Tacoma Athletic Commission Spring Athlete of the Year in 2016, but, uh, you know, did you, did you have expectations of being a starter in uh, your first year of high school? I, I definitely did not have expectations. Uh, I was very fortunate. I got blessed with a great opportunity and just capitalized. Um, definitely uh, attributed to my, I worked hard. Um, I know as soon as the opportunity was presented, then, okay, this is happening, and uh, went after it. 
Um, Jake, uh, being from Washington and obviously knowing uh, the part of the country that Yale's in, uh, how did it come about that uh, you know the Yale recruiters were able to to track down a, a, an elite athlete in, in the state of Washington, and, and uh, were, how were they able to identify you and then ultimately sign you and, and get you out to Connecticut? Um, I was at a Stanford camp, um, and it was, it was a pretty unique experience what Stanford does. It's not like uh, most collegiate camps where they only allow Stanford scouts and co- uh, their own coaches to, to uh, look at the kids. They invite coaches from all over the country to come around and, and watch these kids play. And so I was fortunate enough to – it was first Harvard. Um, I, I was approached by Harvard, and they asked my SAT score and uh, just some, some more information about um, – about who I am, my, my playing, and then my name just kind of spread throughout the Ivy Leagues, and uh, it was actually between Yale and Columbia, and um, I, you know, never made it out to Columbia, but made it out to Yale, and just really loved it, and felt like it was, was going to be my home for the next four years. Oh, that sounds awesome. We'll uh, we'll touch on that in a second, and how the, there's this pipeline from Yale to Edmonton as of late. Um, tell me about the MLB prospect development program that you were selected to participate in in 2017. That that sounds pretty heady. Yeah, it was it was a great opportunity. Uh, it was at Safeco Field, so growing up um, in Seattle, the Mariners. Um, it was nice to go out there and play there, and uh, it was kind of uh, I'd like to compare it to like the NFL Combine almost. Um, we we went out and they took some some skills evaluation, some speed drills, some strength things. Uh, we took BP on Safeco Field, actually hit one over the left field wall. So that was that was really cool. Are you cool. serious? Yeah, yeah, over the left field. That's uh, awesome. Yeah, compared that to what cool. we saw the other day. Yeah, not, no not kidding. <laughs> yeah, so put one out at Safeco, uh, played a little scrimmage game, caught some bullpens right there on the field. It was uh, beautiful, beautiful field, great opportunity. It was a lot of fun. That's pretty cool. Yeah, oh no kidding, uh, Jake. Did did you grow up a catcher? Or is that something that uh, from a young age you wanted to wear the gear and be that guy behind the plate, or is that something that came a little bit later in in your development? Uh, I've been catching since I was nine years old. So yeah, my uh, yeah my uh, my older brother was a catcher uh, growing up. So I grew up at the baseball field. Uh, both my older brother, both my older brothers, my older sisters uh, all played a form of baseball. Uh, and so growing up. I would say that catching's in my blood, so that's you know what I've always done. So, did you experiment with different stands? When I was a little kid, I was a when I would catch, I was a Tony Pena guy. I love Tony Pena, and I would try to sit like Tony Pena, but I didn't have the arm like Tony Pena, so it was really hard to throw. Um, you know, what catchers did you look up to in Major League Baseball and maybe try to emulate? Uh, I actually had a really good catching coach, um, and that's you know I've totally taken on all of his. Uh, his name is Quentin Poyle. Um, played for Wazoo, got drafted by the Rockies, um, and that's he's turned me into who I am. Pretty much um, everything that I know about catching comes from him. Um, so I, as my flexibility has gotten better as I've aged, I've kind of been able to sit lower. But I don't, I don't think I've really taken taken anyone on. I look up to. Uh, uh, Yadier Molina, just because of his arm, I think that that's one of the biggest things that you look for. Um, but yeah, I mean, just owe it to him. This is a quote from one of your high school teammates in an article I found about you. And maybe this is one of the reasons why you uh, have him on your team. Quote, he's a baseball genius. He really knows what's going on out there. It's crazy what he sees out there in the field. He always knows what pitches to call. Uh, maybe you, Jordan, speak on the qualities that you have seen so far in Jake and, and what you had heard about him before and, 
And, and is that the kind of the book on him that you had heard? Yeah, I think uh, his, his teammate has a good eye for talent uh, w- with what his comments were. You know, uh, we went through the recruiting process, you know, looking for uh, a true catcher, somebody back there that could, could do the job. Um, and, and, you know, that sounds easy enough, but, but there's so many things. It's multifaceted, what, what you need out of that position. So uh, when we started researching potential players, you know, uh, fortunately enough for us, we got in touch with uh, Coach Shulman at Yale, um, did some background on Jake, you know, saw some video from when he was a little bit younger um, and, and really liked it. You know, obviously there, there's uh, some, some big time ability there, um, highly recruited player. Um, and then obviously going to Yale and playing in their baseball program is a big deal. Um, so as that started to develop, we got excited about the opportunity. You know, I think Jake has done uh, an outstanding job of, of working with the pitcher that, that he's tasked with catching for that day. Um, Jake's done an awesome job in the dirt, keeping balls in front. Uh, what that does is it gives the pitcher confidence to throw anything and in, in, in any count. Um, and that's so valuable uh, to know that the guy back there has, is a wall. Um, and, and, you know, on top of that, uh, to have confidence in your catcher calling pitches and believing in him, uh, what that does is it takes the decision making out of the pitcher's mindset. They don't have to spend a bunch of energy thinking about how to set a guy up. What should I do here? And they can just concentrate on execution. Um, and to have a catcher that, uh, that the pitching staff buys into and believes in, it makes their job so much easier, and, and frankly, it allows them to go longer into games uh, potentially with with uh, you know that confidence in the guy behind the plate. Um, and then from the offensive side, uh, well, actually, let's touch on the arm. There, there's a there's a hose there, as the kids say. Um, Jake's a, a catch and throw guy. Uh, like I said, he's done a great job in the dirt for us, um, and uh, haven't had a chance to see him show it off yet. Um, I think. Uh, you know, in between innings, in the warm-ups, uh, you know, the other team obviously gets an opportunity to see Jake throw the ball down, and um, you're going you're gonna to think twice, you know, just seeing him in, in that, you know, he's probably 80-85% um, to get loosened up, throw it down at the end of the inning after the pitcher's warmed up. Uh, th- that'll give you second thoughts of whether you want to try and test that or not. And then from the offensive side, uh, you know, some of the video I saw was a couple years old, um, and, you know, and obviously guys are going to get better from grade 11 and 12 and then into their freshman year. And, you know, when you become a freshman in college and the amount of work that you're going to put in, uh, in that particular program, um, the development curve changes and, uh, it may not be a curve anymore. It may be a, a steep incline at that point. Um, love the swing, love the barrel, uh, love the balance at the plate. Um, you know, you can't tell mindset, you can't tell approach. Uh, but you can you can see swing path, you can see where the barrel's going, and and loved all that. And then when you get a recommendation from Coach Shulman, who I've developed a relationship with, of you know plus everything, you know all across the board uh, as a person, as a player, uh, easy decision, and we're grateful that he decided to come up to Edmonton. Um, really thankful to have him. Jake Gary is our guest, a member of the Edmonton Prospects catcher game tonight. Uh, so thanks very much for doing this today. Um, you mentioned flexibility. What do you do? Um, are you a yoga guy? Like what sort of things do you do to help or have you done? And, and what would you recommend as a good age for somebody who wants to be a catcher starts doing that? It's a form of yoga that actually Shulman got us started on. It's called Ramwad. It's just focused on um, mostly hip range of motion. And um, really there's no age too early. Um, a buddy of mine that I grew up catching with uh, 
did uh, taekwondo as well as baseball and could do the splits and it just benefited him tenfold he um, was able to not only block the ball better but you know reduce that risk of injury when blocking the ball um, so really you know start as young as you can I know stretching is it's time consuming and it's not like working out because you don't see results then immediately but it in the long run will definitely help you you hit two home runs on uh, Saturday night. I talked to you briefly after the game, but um, you know, when when you hit the first one and you come up in the the, the next time, are you thinking the same thing? Like, uh, uh, you know, if I get that same pitch, it's out of here. Or what was your approach the second at bat? I really wasn't expecting another fastball, um, so that kind of caught me off guard. I know my biggest thing is. I, I sit off speed because I know I have quick enough hands to catch up to the fastball. And so if I know that I can, when I get that, that off speed pitch, shoot it into right center, that if they throw me a fastball in, up and inside that I can turn on it and really find barrel. What were you, uh, any, uh, discussions, um, with, uh, Jake, uh, on Saturday night about hitting? No, I think, uh, Jake's got a great plan. He's got a great mindset, uh, you know, we, we talked to all our guys throughout, you know, the game day and preparation of, you know, how was the last couple of days? Where are you at? How do you, how are you feeling? And, and, you know, Shea Hill and Brand touched on that. Uh, you know, it's about feel and, uh, you know, we just had a quick chat uh, of where he's at and, and, um, you know, Jake's a guy that's going to execute a ton for us and, and square balls up. So, um, you know, kind of par for the course, you know, we don't, we don't expect Jake to hit home runs all summer, you know, like he's, a, he's a human. Um, but uh, th- there is that big playability, and uh, you know when Jake catches a ball, it's got a chance to get out of the yard. So, you know, obviously we're looking for more of the same. But uh, you know, there really is no pressure. Uh, Jake's here to find barrels and, and hit balls well. Some of them are going to leave the yard. That's his natural ability. Uh, we're excited for that. Um, I don't know when the last time uh, prospects players hit two home runs, let alone two and back to back at bats. So. Uh, pretty cool thing to do. A uh, pretty special player, and and uh, yeah, just looking to have fun. And 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 for for us on the coaching staff, it's fun to to watch Jake do his thing. All right, we're gonna talk about the the Yale connection now. And uh, you hitting the five hole at Yale, pretty much, right? Yeah. It was that like uh, was there a discussion with Yale about where he would suit best? And, and is that you know, or, or did you just come up with that yourself as well? Because it seemed to work pretty well at Yale and working so far yeah, here. Yeah. At, uh, you know, we talked to the to the coaching staff there, and then obviously uh, we track the guys throughout. Uh, once we sign them and they get into their spring season in March, you know, we, we pay attention to where they're at and what's going on. Um, we started Jake in the four. Uh, we just flipped him down in the five uh, for no real reason. You know, there'll probably be an opportunity that Jake gets in the three, you know, as we learn our guys and see where they're best suited. As far as our lineup chemistry, it's a, it's one of the cool things in baseball and and maybe intangible is not the right word, but, uh, you know, your one through nine offensive lineup, uh, th- there can be chemistry created. So if we could relate that to, you know, chemistry on a line, you know, you got you know, your center and your wingers and they work really well together and they know where everybody's going. You know, obviously it's a different sport, but you, you get a feel for the guy in front of you and, and how he approaches the game and what they pitch to him. And then you come up and then the guy behind you works off of what he's seen and then you can really develop this this intrinsic value of at bats bleed into other at bats, and then that's where the term hitting is contagious comes from. When when the lineups got that congruency together, um, you can really put big numbers up. And you know, it, uh, luck of the draw, we we uh, ended up hitting Jake in the five, and he had a big day. Um, 
I think we could hit Jake in the one and he'd probably have <laughs> a chance at a big day. So maybe we'll see that here at some point. All right. You were an all Ivy honorable mention as a freshman at Yale. That's pretty cool. And you led the team with 21 RBIs in 20 games in conference play. And it's obviously some of the most important play. So let's talk about the Yale to Edmonton pipeline. Four guys uh, from Yale on this team. As I mentioned the other day, you guys could have your own fraternity here in Edmonton. But how does it, uh, you know, is it word of mouth that you hear and you're like, oh, I've heard this place is good. Oh, you're going there. Let's all go there. Like, did you guys get together and say, let's all go play for the prospects? Yes, actually. Um, last year, Drew Scott, a pitcher uh, who went to Yale, um, recommended it to us. Uh, we kind of had a conversation with him, the four of us, and he said it was easily one of the best summers he's had, and then he would highly recommend it. And you know, after talking to Jordan and uh, you know getting a feel for the program, it you know sounded like a great fit. And I know all four of us are you know very happy with the decision. Yeah, we're happy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and and again, Shay kind of touched on this. It's it's the relationships that you build in the game that that are what lasts. Like memories do for sure, and and cool events for sure. Um, that there are things that fans and yourself will remember. I know me personally, you know, some of my best memories aren't what I did on the field. I remember some things for sure, some special things that happened. Um, but, but I'm still a really good friend with a whole group of guys from 2004 that we played together with and the road trips and all that kind of stuff. So um, kind of leading that into the Yale connection as you develop a relationship with a coach, um, you know, we, we're like-minded. We think about the same things. Our discussions are awesome. I look forward to talking to coach there all the time. Um, and then to couple that with getting a group of players that play together. Um, and, you know, obviously from Yale, like you said before, is a, a prestigious school. Um, to bring that kind of character and leadership into our summer program was, was something that we were excited to have the opportunity to do. Um, the fact that there's a group of kids that would like to come and do this together it's is so great um and like i said it's about the friendships you build and the bonds that you're able to create so we couldn't be happier having that connection you know whether that continues or not is for a later date um but i know that uh we're really excited to to watch this play out this summer and for sure we'll be back in touch with coach showman in the fall and um, you know, our, our relationship really, uh, for, for me personally, never ends with the players that I get the chance to coach or, or be around. You know, we're, uh, we'll, we'll transition from managing and coaching them to becoming fans and tracking them and, and cheering them on from afar. And, you know, hopefully one day we can ask for some tickets to a game. You guys all live together? Uh, no, Here? I live uh, Jackson and Bandau. Uh, or Jackson and Matt live together. We okay. try, tried to split them up to give them a little experience. You know, <laughs> That's like right, yeah. you're around the same person for 365. Maybe you want to change, but uh, so so a couple of the pitchers we put together, um, and then uh, Pierce and, and Jake, we we decided to maybe give them a blow from each other and 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 live with some other guys and experience other people. So. Uh, so far, so good. Hopefully, over there, we've got a really good living situation. Uh, some some two bedrooms, some three bedrooms, some four bedroom. You know, they've got the opportunity to kind of hang out in a common area, and and uh, you know, hopefully, so far, so good. Um, they have a kitchen. They basically got everything that they need to to survive. You know, they're college kids. They're they're barely scraping by here. Um, but, uh, we think it's a good fit. Uh, and you know, we're always looking to make sure their experience is, is, is excellent. That's really what's important here. Um, and it's important for recruiting in the future too, is like we, we, we take pride in, in taking care of the players that come up here and, and give us their time for the summer. And we want to do everything that we can to make that, uh, the most enjoyable experience for them. 
And then on top of it, uh, you know, I'm from Edmonton. Uh, it, it means something to me to have players join this community. Um, so, uh, like Sundays, we have autograph days with, with little kids. And, and to be able to do that and, and have the guys feel comfortable in the city is, is really important to me personally and to our organization. So, uh, we're definitely trying to hit home runs for the players when they come up. Yeah, I saw the other day a bunch of the players uh, taking pictures with some kids before the game, which I thought was uh, pretty cool. So things going really well on the field so far. Uh, just uh, we'll wrap on this. Tell me your impressions of Edmonton, um, being a prospect, the stadium. Uh, you know, what, what's it been like so far here? Was it everything you heard it was going to be like? Yeah, uh, definitely only seeing the field and pictures before getting up here. Um, I was already impressed with you know, first day, uh, 21st first day on uh, on the field. It was just breathtaking. A uh, little bit bigger than I had thought it was going to be, so that was a little intimidating at first. But uh, I think the air is thinner up here, plays small, and it is just, it's a beautiful park. Um, uh, it really fills up with all those fans, too. Um, that was one thing that I wasn't really expecting. You don't really know what 4,000 fans feels like until – you know, it's right there. Um, so it's it's really just an experience um, that you know, I'm never going to forget. And what about the city? Have you been able to, I know you guys are busy, but have you been able to see the, much of the city? I know the, one of the best parts of the city is where you play in the River Valley. So what are your uh, thoughts on Edmonton so far? I've been able to do some walking around with a few of the guys and my mom and I took a day and walked around and uh, it's a beautiful city. Uh, there's definitely a lot to do, so I'm hopefully going to be able to uh, check some things off, uh, talk to Jordan, uh, get a few of the, the main sites that I need to see. Good stuff. Thanks very much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you. The pitch. There's a long one to right field. Forget about it. This one is headed for New Jersey. High into the upper deck. Barry Barnes with a spectacular three-run homer. Who is the best left fielder of all time? How about your favorite shortstop ever? What a double play by Ozzie Smith. Oh, mercy. It's time to build your all-time team. Our final segment now as we wrap things up on the Prospects Baseball Show. You can get us on Twitter at Prospects Pod. And we're talking all-time team now. And we're going with left fielders. And listen... We talked to Shea Hillebrand, and in his opinion, Barry Bonds is that. So let's get, who do you think is um, the man when it comes to left fielders? Well, I'm going to go with uh, a power and speed combo, uh, a player that, that we all recognize his name. And, uh, you know, one of the players, as I was falling in, in love with the game, it, it, right as I was becoming a teenager, you know, was front and center. Uh, and, and at that time was, you know, probably the best player in the game. If he wasn't, he was in the in the top couple. I'm going to go with Barry Bonds as my greatest of all time in left field. You know, I don't I don't like what Barry Bonds uh, did. I think it was morally wrong. Uh, he was going to be a Hall of Famer before he got to San Francisco. But I can't argue that it was that wrong. And I'm not sure people talk about asterisks. I don't know because there were no rules against it. Like, listen, I, I compared it to stealing signs. Should you do that? Yeah, maybe not, but everybody, lots of teams do it. And at that time, you know, it was like a PD, PED fire sale going on. It was a garage sale of PEDs every every corner. So it's hard to, to fault Barry Bonds. Um, and, and you went with a power guy who, you know, also was uh, had pretty good numbers, but... I got to go with uh, Ted Williams and, uh, you know, two-time MVP, a couple of triple crowns, um, 19 times uh, as, as an all-star. 
And it's just like the, the, the all-time leader at 482, OPS of 1.16. It's just ridiculous. And then there's that magic 400 number that, that we all aspire as, as baseball players aspire to, to reach. So, uh, listen, I don't know if there's a wrong answer, um, but uh, I'm going to go with uh, Ted Williams on this one. And how you can participate is give us your list for the best or favorite players of all time at each position, uh, or both. You can do one of each, as well as relief pitcher and DH. So you have 11 in total. You have all the position players, including your starting pitcher, DH, and relief pitcher. We'll have two different winners, one for the best team of all time and one for your favorite team of all time. The winners will see, receive winter banquet tickets and uh, Jordan and I revealing our positions each week as we go. We'll get some sub, to some submissions next show. So as far as my favorite, I'm going with Shoeless Joe Jackson. I fell in love with the book Shoeless Joe, which was written by W.P. Kinsella, who was born in Edmonton and grew up uh, 45 minutes northwest. And it was, of course, adapted into Field of Dreams. But the book was so good. And, and I just, I couldn't stop researching Shoeless Joe. And the, the most ridiculous thing is that he was blackballed in that so-called, like, I, I, I don't doubt there were people that were throwing the World Series. Look at Shoeless Joe's numbers in that World Series. Yeah, 400. There's no chance he was throwing that World <laughs> Series. It's the most ridiculous thing ever. But the book was great. He was dominant. Uh, I love the story. So he is my favorite left fielder. Um, and there were a lot to choose from when uh, you come to the best or favorite left fielders, Ricky Henderson, uh, who was flashy, and then the National League answer to Ricky Henderson, which was The Rock, Tim Raines. So uh, there's a lot to choose from. Manny Ramirez, um, you know, the, you, you can go uh, all the way back into uh, the history of baseball and find great Willie Stargell, a member of the We Are Family yeah. Pirates team. So Shoeless Joe's my favorite. Who are you going with your favorite left fielder? Well, I'd be I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, include uh, a quick shout out to one of my favorite names in the history of the game, and and my boy played for the Expos, FP Santangelo. Um, more of maybe a utility guy, but he had a ton of time in left field. My favorite uh, of all time, I'm going I'm going with Ricky Henderson. Um, the flair, the pizzazz, the leadoff home runs. Uh, when I started playing the game, they, Ricky wore these Mizuno batting gloves with neon padding on front. And if, if you, when you were 11, if you had a pair of Ricky Mizuno batting gloves, you were the man. Uh, uh, it's so awesome. I, uh, we used to we used to mimic his batting stance. He's so unique. Um, cool story about Ricky. He, he at times would uh, talk about himself in the third person. Yeah. Um, great interview. Uh, what a ball player. Um, the total package. Uh, the, in my mind, uh, the best leadoff of all time. Dino, I love your shoeless Joe. This was so tough. This left fielder group was so tough. It, as I look through it, it's like, oh, dang, uh, most of my favorite players were left fielders. Um, so great drop on the shoeless Joe. I love that movie. Eight Men Out 2 with John Cusack. Have you seen that I have movie? have not. Oh, Dino. I'll have to check that yeah, one out. You know, that's a must for you. I, I, I get the feeling that you would love that movie. It's an awesome movie. Um, eight man out. Uh, what a story that was, and and for Shoeless to hit eh? four hundred there, and and like the eight man out talks about that yeah. story, um, just unbelievable. But uh, I'm going with Ricky. All right, so that leads us into then versus now. Ricky Henderson, um, you know, uh, the greatest uh, base dealer of all time, and I love 
guys that can steal. Uh, you know, before Kirk Gibson made me a Dodger fan with one swing of his uh, bat off the bench in 88, I loved the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, I, I threw out Willie McGee yeah. last week. Vince Coleman was one of my favorite players. Ozzie Smith had some speed. I loved speed. Uh, Ricky Henderson, Tim Raines, who, who, we, who we talked about. How do you think the, uh, the art of base stealing has changed? And do you think Ricky Henderson had the biggest effect on today's generation of base dealers? Yeah, good question. I don't know if I don't know if the kids I coach know a ton about Ricky um, and the, the the players I get a chance to be around. Uh, you know, I think the name is familiar. I don't know so much if they've studied how he did what he did. Uh, greatest base dealer of all time. You know, he 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 took the the the, the total number of bags from Lou Brock. Um, what a threat that is. You know, if he gets on base, it's stolen. Um, if he squares the ball up, it's a double or a home run. If you walk them, it's a triple. Um, what a game changer. Like flat out definition of game changer was Ricky Henderson. Um, the state of the state of the game now, I think uh, it, there's some analytics involved in this one, Dino. I know we've touched on that before. Um, the stolen base has become, um, I wouldn't say less valuable, but it's used less as a, as a tool and a weapon versus your opponent. I feel like that will come back. Uh, I think we're starting to see a little bit of a trend to some speed coming back in the game as far as giving your giving your players the ability to do their own thing on the base pass and, and, and rip a bag here and there. I think there's an art form to it. I think there's it, it's a, a huge instinctual thing. Um, there's so much information that the pitcher's giving you every time they throw that if you can pick up a pattern, uh, that improves your chances. Um, guys throw so hard now. And catchers are so good behind the plate. It's not easy, you know. And when you're sitting there as a fan watching games, it's not as easy as hey, they should steal a base here. Uh, the guys behind the dish are for real. Uh, they throw the ball hard. You know, it's co- coming down 85 to 90 miles an hour from behind the plate from their knees uh, at times. And then guys on the mound are 94 plus. You know, so every mile an hour takes time off your ability to swipe a bag. So it's such an art form. There are techniques. Uh, there are ways to get good jumps, and, and then, you know, you play the game. You know, uh, uh, our guest, Jake Geary, talked about kind of the mental and, and the feel behind some things, and, and that's what it is to steal bases. It's, it's a feel thing. It's tough to tell someone to steal a base. They have to feel like they can, and, and then at that point, you may, have, you may be able to rip one. Good stuff. Uh, all right, so we'll wrap on that because you guys got a game to play today. So uh, our thanks to Jake Geary. Your catcher for joining us, Shea Hillebrand, two-time All-Star, former major leaguer. Really open and honest interview about his, his life, uh, um, you know, growing up, playing, and where he is now. And, of course, Jordan, thanks for uh, coming out again. Uh, good luck tonight. Thank I'll you. see you there as I'm working the game oh, for great. ICU video. So we'll uh, meet in the uh, pregame for an interview and, and more. Thanks very much for joining us, and uh, enjoy the game tonight. Ban the shift.